Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a podcast for everyone who loves good conversations on cricket. I'm your host, Benny, and this week we will be speaking with former Indian cricketer, coach, and author Urkiri Venkat Raman, or more popularly known as W.V. Raman. In an extensive chat, me and fellow co-host Mayank spoke with Mr. Raman about his playing career, including his time with Tamil Nadu for over 17 years, his coaching experiences across men's and women's cricket, his book, The Winning Sixer, his advice to athletes on dealing with mental challenges in pandemic times, and much, much more. Here's our conversation with W.V. Raman. Well, Mr. Raman, welcome to The Last Week, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, so we have so much to talk uh, about today with you, uh, but first I hope you and your family are doing well uh, during these strange and <laughs> turbulent times. How, how have you been holding up in the last few weeks as the cases have continued to rise? I'm trying to be as safe as possible, trying to follow the safety protocols and this is absolutely essential Right. Also, try and uh, keep away from Into it, you know, you have been you have you have done a lot in cricket. You have been a player, coach, uh, a corporate leader. So we wanted to talk about your playing career first. Uh, you know, I've I found out that you started out as a left arm spinner uh, before you developed into an opening batsman. Uh, I'm just curious, what was the catalyst for that transformation? I can't really pinpoint one particular uh, reason for that. And I got to really useful down the order. And, uh, 
fact, uh, even about a couple of weeks prior to my family and number three for India, I batted uh, seven or eight uh, uh, in first class cricket, double uh, to be my next day. Uh, however, going back to your question, I think uh, what happened was that my playing uh, leagues in England uh, did not uh, give me the opportunity to be uh, bowling to high quality batsmen in India. Because I spent uh, an entire summer, you practice once or twice uh, a week, and you don't uh, get enough practice in your formative years. It's going to be a problem as I found out later on. It's very essential for a spinner to roll as much as possible this moment that we have. Uh, right. But however, um, what happened was that uh, I put upon the fact which is a professional in the English leagues, you got to obviously perform there and they are also when I came back I also found that uh, there was something which is not uh, happening right when I uh, which resulted in my developing back pain whenever I told the wife. The rest was the only pain, the remedy that was suggested was their sports medicine. So that we can, uh, our treatment of sports related injuries was uh, as an acid stage. So they couldn't pinpoint as to why it happened. But uh, after a very long time after having uh, finished uh, playing and getting into coaching and uh, uh, having spoken to a lot of biomechanics specialists. Now I understand what it's like exactly was an anatomy those years so when I was in back pain. Uh, to cut a long story short, I think it was a uh, case of my developing a few flaws in my technique, which okay. resulted in that uh, back pain whenever I moved. Uh, however, um, what happened was that uh, one fine morning I was having asked to recover back by the then captain Ravishashi. So I, I said, yes, of course, without batting island, because uh, I would have done anything to get a game. Right. So if you were to ask me, you know, would you outback? I would have said yes, that's why, because okay. that's one way of being out there in the middle and being a part of it and being uh, you know, things very natural game. So I said yes, and I got a few runs, and people uh, felt that I could be assisted in the company of that. That's where it all started. I was thinking that, you know, Tamil Nadu has a good history of producing quality spinners. I was thinking because around the time you made your debut, I think it was Lakshman Shivaramakrishnan who was there. And I was just wondering if it's just like something to do with Tamil Nadu and spinners that you just thought it would be better, you know, get a better route as a batsman rather than a spinner. Not really, yeah. I would have very much loved to have continued bowling uh, as well because it's always a big advantage, uh, not only uh, you individually, but uh, if you're an all rounder, you provide a lot of options to the team as well. So I think my not having to bowl today uh, did not uh, sort of uh, make uh, any great difference for myself right. bowling. And uh, also that. Uh, uh, the, the team also would have very much wanted me to Not that I didn't want to, it's just that I couldn't. So, right. Uh, it is not luck. Okay. Well, so as someone hailing from the state of Tamil Nadu myself, uh, it has always surprised me that we haven't won the Ranji Trophy since the 87 88 season. 
despite throwing up so many talented cricketers uh, throughout the last few decades, and many of whom have gone on to represent the national team. And uh, also Tamil Nadu, they do well in the Vijay Hazare Trophy, the Syed Mushtaqali Trophy. What is your take on the lack of wins, the trophy wins in uh, the Ranji Trophy compared to the shorter formats? It is always important for the entire team to believe that uh, the game will be That's number one. Uh, number two is that uh, all of them should try and go to the same levels. If you have to be successful, so, uh, sometimes, uh, as uh, you would have found out in your life as well, intelligence is not always a competition, which I think is one of the reasons why Tamil was not. Pull its weight as well as India, or as well as India, as a team. Uh, right. This is not to say um, the players of other states uh, are playing or not. Uh, it is It's just that uh, guys need to understand that uh, you cannot achieve the goal if each of you play according to the So what should go the Some of this doesn't happen. There's uh, uh, nothing that can be said uh, for the simple reason that uh, then you start getting into a where you start uh, talking about it. However, uh, what is important is also that uh, it has been proven by the very fact that we do that in shorter format and not so much uh, in the longer format. Uh, it is proven that uh, we also cannot sustain the intensity and focus levels perhaps that would be one reason as well. Uh, but uh, uh, be that as it may, I think uh, uh, over the years, Tamil uh, Nadu signs of different generation that they have not been as many as they should have. I said with a lot of disappointment, I don't say, uh, need to criticize anybody. Uh, no, I'm not criticizing because of any generation. It's just that collectively, all of us, I feel like that now, the uh, knowledgeable and the fanatical uh, followers of the game of and all their hopes have been shattered here at the end. So, uh, yes, as they say, that uh, you can only hope that things will turn around and some of things will start happening in the Until such time that uh, the boys go on to they still have to be hopeful, we still have to be in our plates. And uh, we, we, at least the guys who are here, have to take the responsibility of thrill our fans to the extent that you would like um, so, so, thank you for joining. Um, one of the things that I was reading about was you know, between November 1988 and uh, December 92, India played only 25 tests. And only one of them was actually played in India. And you know, I was reading that it impacted, obviously, a lot of uh, players who played around that time. And that includes, obviously, your career as well. Um, tell us about how you feel, you know, things could have been different if in, uh, back then India was playing as many tests as they do now. And it almost also felt as if, you know, you're obviously involved with women's cricket. And uh, it almost felt very similar to what, sometimes happens there where there's, you know, very limited cricket over six months, sometimes a year, and it impacts players who are in their prime and they end up missing out uh, key years of their career. 
So, what are your thoughts about that? So, you cannot put it down to the infrequency of talking about how women's cricketers in the 70s had actually uh, had to actually pay to play cricket as well so yeah as you say it's absolutely about their passion and not even a career um, so to say women's cricket at that time was never under uh, the bcci it came right. under the wing of the bcci uh, only around 
obviously, I'm sure that uh, the cricketers of that generation will be thrilled to see your sports play and to see that uh, the girls are better placed in every uh, respect uh, as well as uh, playing in the country's concern. Right, absolutely. Uh, so, switching over to your coaching career, um, you've coached Tamil Nadu, uh, you've worked with Bengal as well, and you know, you've had uh, IPL stints. Uh, and now you're the coach of the Indian women's team. So I was just wondering the dynamics of each of these roles is very, very different. Um, and I'm sure there's a, a different challenge for each of these. Uh, so could you share a little bit about each of these experiences, what you thought was challenging, uh, you know, working with Tamil Nadu versus working in the IPL versus working for the women's team? If you're, if you're to the state side, uh, you're almost uh, spending uh, Thirds of the year, you know, spending a team with uh, the team for about eight months. And you're also engaged in uh, all the formats that they talk about the state sides with T20s, WTO format, four day version. And it's also a long season. It's not easy because uh, they have to sustain their intensity for a longer period of time. And they also have to be really adaptable. The uh, thing is that you want to try and keep them interested uh, so that they perform at their best. Because any uh, you does get that, so it's, you know, it's not easy to keep training uh, or practicing for about uh, eight, ten months uh, in a year, especially when uh, uh, not playing for the country. It's not that easy because. Uh, they know that they won't be playing the first class cricket. Yes, uh, younger guys might probably you know find that as a motivation because they want to perform and want to play for the state side. Uh, sorry, for the state side. So that gives them the impetus and that motivates them. But you also have some characters who know for sure that they will not perform. And yeah, they will be useful because of their experience because of the past performances. Uh, in first class cricket, that I've seen a lot of from the Indian team. So you have a mix of people. So that poses uh, a different uh, sense of challenges. Uh, if you're talking about IPL, you're talking about uh, ensuring that uh, uh, you kind of temper the uh, emotional uh, sort of fluctuation because uh, things change in the team. Uh, kind of uh, seesaw that happens in an IPL game. Uh, by the time you play these change and take uh, things for granted, or when you think you know, this is how it's going to pan out, you suddenly see over the next three days it's totally unchanged. The of the game is changed, at least, at least temporarily. But that's how it goes uh, in a team. So there's a lot of uh, emotional uh, swing that happens during that. Uh, and also the fact is that you don't really work too much with players because all of uh, the players are the most possible perhaps and best 10 days before the And uh, from then on it's a case of uh, them doing whatever they've been doing well enough before our regular All of these guys would have been playing for uh, their own state sides or for their national sides and the uh, sides that they they would be in touch with the game, they would know what has helped them succeed in the preceding months. 
bank on those skills to help them succeed in life as well. So keep them going, keep them motivated. The other role that I played at the NSA was totally different in the sense that it was more of you being involved in an academic setup. There you focus on ensuring that you help the youngsters or the players or the elite teams work on their skills, whether it's the technical skills or whether it's the mental skills or whatever they feel of course, I did go with the art media and the insights when they were allowed and was not available. Both sides were engaged at the same time. Now I had So that also helped in the sense that I'm having to spend enough time working with them in state. You also had a fair idea as to what the players were capable of doing, where they needed to. Play in bad situations that they could work in. So that was a good mix because it's half academy kind of work that you do, and the other half was to handle a team as well, which comprises players who've been a part of the academy. So it was a very interesting kind of mix. And of course, telling you once forget is completely different. It's a piece of much, but yet from whatever little I was focusing, I had the impression that they needed some help from some students. So I thought perhaps I could get help. This is not being, let's say, immodest or just a handful of there is a site that is really need of some help. So that happened. Uh, I am pleased to see the way they progressed uh, in uh, every respect, and um, I am absolutely certain that uh, uh, the girls will become very prominent as they go along next years. And I'm also sure that uh, there will be an IPL for them to finish. That is going to create a massive explosion. You will see a lot of girls taking up cricket. Things will skyrocket, like it happened with the boys as well. The life will start about an eight. It will really increase the parents would drag the boys to coaching and coaching camps and plead with the coaches there, saying somehow make this boy cultivate ideas. That's what we want to do, and that's what we sort of look forward to him doing later on in life. So that created a kind of frenzy that was not really seen because prior to that, it was all about players being indifferent. The parents of the players being indifferent. Oh, I got a hundred of the available. Okay, it's fine. The parents are not really keen on that. But after the life, it happened. The entire dynamics changed, the entire landscape changed. I'm so glad that you brought up the women's IPO because that is something that we were planning to ask you about uh, because it has been in the news recently. Uh, there's been some pushback to that idea. You know, people have said, oh, there's lack of financial 
feasibility or there's just not enough talent to have like a expanded women's IPO. Um, and I was just wondering what your thoughts on that. And I can see that you're in favor of it. This one idea that I thought, and you, you can you can say, you know, what, what do you think about it? You know, like in the Big Bash League, um, franchises have like a women's team version. Do you think there is scope for existing IPO teams to to have like a women's version rather than create something from scratch? Because that would eliminate that worry of lack of financial ability. I think it's more removed with the logistics Okay. Because uh, people must understand that if you have a special window, let's say if you're going to have a full-fledged women's IPM, you need to find a window wherein you'll have the availability of all the players from all the countries. So we right. need to get the best performance that you can do. Uh, you want to first find out a window uh, that shows everybody that shows that players, the top players from all the countries are available. Now, if you're having, you're going to have eight teams, you're going to have like a lot of nights and you're going to have a lot of you need at least six weeks. Okay, now this is something that needs to be worked out the ICC in the first place. Right. And uh, prior to uh, this, what has happened is that you have a league that's going on. You have the women's big patch, which means they'll have their own specific windows. Right. Right. So, and also they have to see as to when this can be done and uh, also try and ensure that the players don't make too much movement as well. That will be another factor that will come. You see, there are a lot of things that move through. It's just that uh, it's not a situation where you suddenly say, okay, let's do the IPL for the girls and let's get on with it, start or it's not. It's not. It never ever going to be like that. There are a lot of factors that need consideration. There's a lot coordination that comes into being uh, that is required as well not only for, in terms of uh, the cricketers uh, wanting to play that it's also a case of various cricketing boards you know, being amenable to it they all have to sit and sort it out and uh, of course um, you would have uh, a lot of people interested in terms of practicing once it starts I don't see that as being so, uh, cricket uh, in India, especially the way the girls have been playing in the last uh, five, six years, uh, they have made people sit up and focus. And uh, it is definitely going to be a worthwhile proposition financially, also. That also I'm very sure of. So, the, the thing is uh, finding the right time, ensuring that it becomes a good, wholesome package. As it happened to be, you know, when I will start in for the men. So, when it is the right time to strike, I'm sure that these are definitely striking and they will never miss out an opportunity, nor uh, they don't uh, sort of, you know, take most cricket lightly. They are looking for performance cricket and they would make use of every opportunity to ensure that these girls get uh, enough exposure and also the opportunities to play. Right, and it's and, and I agree with everything you said. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, women's cricket, Indian women's cricket, especially, has taken off in the last few years. 
I, for one, have been following cricket for over 20 years, but women's cricket only probably over the last two or three years. And we can see most of the cricketers now are household names um, in India among people who follow cricket. And that is so exciting uh, to observe. And just, just as the IPL, the men's IPL, I feel has contributed to improvement of skills, like limited over skills for players and bringing uh, lesser known players to the fore, players who have toiled in domestic cricket for many years, and now they're being recognized just because of so many eyeballs on the IPL. Uh, I feel that women's IPL could do the same. I mean, one area which I personally think can be improved in women's cricket is just like power hitting. Um, I feel something like the women's IPL where they have more opportunities to face off against high quality players from both India and overseas. Uh, that is something that apart from just expanding the reach of women's cricket also helps the skill skills to be improved for women, uh, especially Indian women. That will happen very, but uh, most importantly, uh, before that, I think what uh, would really, uh, uh, do wonders for uh, women's cricket uh, in the larger picture is the uh, start of the under 19 world for the girls. Okay. What this will do is it will make a lot of girls take up cricket, it will make a lot of people uh, encourage girls to play cricket at the classroom. Because um, once there is an under 19 team that's going to come into force and it's going to play a World Cup, let's say every two years or three years or seasons, uh, you would have a lot of girls really wanting to pick up cricket. Because that is also uh, going to be telecast, which means right. that the visibility, there's going to be a lot of attention towards it. And um, now, what uh, would also happen is that if they do well in under 19, they would also fancy the chances of getting in one of the franchise sites or uh, uh, they will have more opportunities to play in the uh, India A level or perhaps the emerging level. So there will be a lot more opportunities because all these uh, runs of the ladder have come into play now from the last year. Whatever was planned did not happen because uh, of the pandemic. But I'm sure the start of the under-19 World Cup and also the uh, Asian Cricket Council starting this uh, emerging uh, players competition, which happens uh, in these countries, uh, Asian Cricket Council uh, member of our countries, uh, that will also really sort of create another level, which means that uh, you will have a lot of cricketers, you know, showcasing their skills at different levels and uh, girls from different ages, that is important. Otherwise, what would happen is that you would have only the same 30, 40 player of levels. It was only, let's say, two senior levels. Then you would have only 30, 40 uh, girls playing those two levels. But with this, what will happen is, and you can also track and focus on developing uh, the talent that you see at the under 19 level. So, this is a very important thing. Switching from one format to the other, you know, there's also some debate over women's tests. Uh, you know, recently England captain Heather Knight, she came out in favor of more women's tests around the world, uh, while former Australian captain Belinda Clark, uh, she maintains that limited overs format should be the focus for women's game right now, and that tests can take 
they can wait at least 10 to 15 till 10 to 15 teams are playing high quality cricket in the short formats you know as someone who's observed international teams closely over the last few years uh, what are your thoughts it will all come down to the intent of the uh, individual uh, cricket folks this cricket for them because um, they would uh, assess a lot of factors they would see whether it's financially viable whether it's something that they can afford yes uh, let's not forget the fact that not all boards perhaps you know from, or let's say can afford um, the same things that uh, perhaps a ecb or an australian or a bcca can do we're not sure it's not sort of demeaning any of the other boards but um, they would definitely take stock of uh, the financial side of it when it comes to uh, test cricket for women i'm not saying they should not play but that is what will be the main uh, sort of uh, thought that will definitely uh, take precedence over anything else uh, yes uh, but at the same time uh, i also um, have a view that uh, in order to open more countries the cricket that's only going to happen through this that is my belief for some reason i have a gut feeling because uh, one is that uh, you would see uh, them you know having that time to play perhaps or also the inclination and that to play uh, right and they're good at they're good at it and they only play shorter format because uh, if if you're talking about uh, the newer countries uh, uh thailand has done extraordinarily well in this cricket uh, the last couple of years but i'm sure uh, in america also it will start uh, very shortly uh, women taking up cricket and you know the series around it uh, you will probably see that happen now uh, in the european countries uh, because you will have a lot of people uh, going back and forth from one nation to another you know so i think that um, you will get a lot of uh, new nations coming into this cricket over a period of time uh, that should be interesting yeah i agree i i for one uh, would definitely look forward to it you know when that time comes and and i feel i, I don't know if i'm you correct me if i'm wrong but the sense that i'm getting it is it's instead of aiming too fast or aiming high aiming too high too fast i think we need to be measured in our approach towards expanding the game. Yeah, everything is about timing. We let like to see, you know, we let like time things right. Right. Uh, the very fact that uh, uh IPL was started at the right time just uh, uh a kind of wholesome uh, entertainment for the entire family. It was, you know, it was really novel and people liked it and it's still strongest spread. but it was it was well conceived and it was timed well as well so that's why you know it, it became such a success it continues to be a success and it will continue to be a success well uh let's move on to your book uh the winning sixer leadership lessons to master uh we really enjoyed it um so sir in the book you mentioned about the five c's uh for ones who have not read the book they are credibility clarity connect control and conviction now I, it, as i was reading those passages uh, something came to my mind that some of these will come with experience like clarity of thought i can see coming with experience uh, but then there's other aspects like connecting at the right wavelength 
So what do you think a young cricketer or even a leader in the corporate world can do to uh, keep learning, keep honing some of these skills um, just so that, you know, it's, it's not over, just not waiting for more experiences to gain some of that? The most important thing is to pay attention to somebody when somebody is talking to you. And the other thing is also that you have to pay attention to what is happening around you. Because it's so easy to get distracted. Even whether you're in a conversation or whether you're outside, let's say, waiting on a bus or a station, it's so easy for you to you know, sort of get distracted. And uh, so many times have you seen somebody just you know, sort of talking in the mobile phone or at the wrong place and you know, sort of colliding into the others on the platform or in the train or whatever. So the point, to, the point I'm trying to make is that all these things, clarity and everything comes from your focus level, which means that even the basic, when you're involved in the basic of human activities, you've got to be aware as to where you are, what is that you're that is very important. Uh, I noticed that you really love the acronyms. Um, there are several passages in your book where you essentially condensed it into you know, certain concepts, into acronyms. And one thing that uh, you talk about the six Bs of propelling or motivation, uh, which is praise, uh, project, provoke, persevere, push, and pretend. Um, and also, you share a lot of anecdotes to illustrate these. Uh, and, you know, one particular example that uh, I enjoyed was uh, about Murli Vijay, uh, former Tamil Nadu opening batsman and Indian cricketer, uh, about how the day before his debut, uh, a, a selector told you that, you know what, Vijay doesn't look motivated enough and he's probably not mentally ready yet. Uh, and this is after you had, you know, kind of briefly checked in with Vijay about how he was doing uh, before the game. So you shot the selector down and, you know, of course, Vijay goes on to score a 50 on debut and a few years later, he goes on to open for India. And, you know, you share this to explain uh, how to discern the difference between motivating players who look disappointed and players who appear indifferent to success or failure. And then you later, you contrast this with a, another Vijay, Vijay Shankar, uh, with whom you had to take a different approach. You know, you end up having a long conversation with him about his ambitions and prodding him to aim higher. You know, as a leader, do you do you expect a person to constantly need motivation or should they learn, you know, to eventually motivate themselves? See, everything is a need basis. No, you, and the trick is in not trying to impose yourself upon somebody and keep on downloading them. Mm -hmm. If somebody is uh, not feeling comfortable or somebody is feeling a little bit anxious and if he has the faith in him, he come to you, he or she will come to you, they'll approach you and they'll ask you. And that's when it is going to have the maximum impact because uh, the, uh, the, the subject is keen to know. But if the subject is uh, feeling comfortable, is not you know, sort of uh, anxious or doesn't need to be downloaded, now, there's nothing that you can do. How much ever you go and tell, it's not going to register with the person. Right. So, you know, it, it's a simple, simple dictum there is that unless you're asked, they don't start. For the simple reason that you're in a position to download things on people, don't do it. If they ask for it, do it. Otherwise, it's a waste of time for uh, both parties. Well, I, 
I, I was trying to think how does it apply to whenever, whenever I was reading you know anything in your book, I was trying to apply it in my own life, and you know just in my line of work. And I, for one, I don't. I, I'm not a person who needs constantly uh, to be motivated by others. Um, and I, for one, feel like that self-motivation needs to come from within. So I was just wondering if this is something that is exclusively in the field of sports, because I feel like sports persons, especially in India, like there's a, an amount of inbuilt insecurity because of the high competition for you know spots um, in the playing eleven. Um, but do you think it it just applies to generally anywhere, you know, and, and not just the sports? It, it, it does play on you in every aspect of life. You will have that insecurity because uh, you will tend to see the kind of uh, candidates that you are pitted against or you are likely to be rivaling against. You will have that little bit of uh, insecurity. You will also try and compare yourself to see um, what is he got or she got vis-a-vis -vis you. And um, sometimes um, this business of uh, even you being compared to your friend at school or a neighbor in terms of the grades you get by the parents doesn't help at all. Because uh, at the end of the day, you would see when you go up and when you sort of get into that uh, uh, train of life, you will see that uh, the only person that you're competing against is you, your own self. You're not competing really with the others because at the end of the day, it's all about what it is that you are doing that you are capable of doing. Are you doing that? Is most important. If you're capable of doing seven, you should try and you know achieve maybe five, three quarters, and six, six and a half, as many, as many times as you can. Yes, and then perhaps improve yourself to eight, eight and a half. But if you're capable of seven, if you only end up doing three because you're not committed enough or if you're not putting your heart into it, then there's a serious problem with you. But this is what really lets you down. It's not right. because somebody else is going better than you. It's just that you are underperforming compared to what it is that you can do. Well, another anecdote which you had shared, uh, and this is something I was fascinated by what uh, billiards player Geet Sethi told you about the relation between financial security and the desire to make it big on the international scene. Um, and he, he had said that once an aspiring sports person has the comfort of a safety net, it may deter him from being desperate enough to want to be a world beater. And I'll admit that personally, that was a huge factor for me when growing up. Uh, it was a deterrent to pursue my dreams of playing cricket professionally. Do you think this is still applicable when we have a league like the IPL, you know, you think domestic cricketers can be content to just make it to an IPL side, even if they cannot make it to the Indian team? It was the other way around, as far as I uh, see uh, IPL in that respect. For simple reason, that it, it is not easy for every cricketer uh, to play for the country. The right. very fact that uh, very fact that we got about three hundred odd cricketers who have played over ninety years for the country. So what happens uh, with the IPL being there is that the guys who have not played for the country for whatever reasons, not that uh, they are not good enough, it's just that it didn't happen. What it does that is that the IPL provides them a platform to play with the best in the business 
with and against them because you get uh, all the top cricketers in the world playing that. Uh, not only it gives you an opportunity to play against them, but it gives you the satisfaction of having played with them and against them. It also provides you a, a phenomenal sense of financial security. Right. That is what IPL does. It's not the other way around as people think. Because, you know, interestingly enough, um, I was asked to contribute to do some this particular thing of uncapped players, Indian uncapped players playing the IPL. I think um, a lot uh, indeed it is going to come out in that particular uh, column. So, uh, the thing is that people think uh, because of the IPL, um, their hunger uh, is stifled and cricketers will not be keen to play for the time. So, which, which cricketer worth his salt or who's talented enough would not want to play for the country? Right. He would play. He would want to play. And today, see, let's face it. The other side of looking at it is that if the system or if life gives you different options, you make your choices. We cannot criticize anybody's choices because they know what it is that they want to make. They know why is it they are making choices. We have to sort of respect the intelligence and the decision-making capabilities of the other individuals. Right. We cannot be judgmental and you know we cannot sort of uh, presume and assume. You know, in the case of uh, uh, others making decisions with regard to their lives. Right. Well, the reason I ask that is because you know, because this has been a, a point of detraction for people who say, well, the IPL throws so much money at players, so why did they have the motivation to even like aim for anything higher when they can play this for just a few months? Um, and they get paid so much money. Um, I personally don't see it that way because just seeing the crop of young players who have popped up for India uh, in in the last few years, uh, you know, just looking at Siraj, for instance, someone who's toiled and has great figures in domestic cricket, but I feel that IPL was one of the things that really brought him to the fore in terms of attention on him. Um, You're right. You're right. You know, even take uh, the case of the Girls and the Misha Pan. They've been brought up in the slam bang, you know, generation. They were not brought up like, let's say, like us or the Dravids or the Tendulkas, where, you know, you played conventionally, you showed you played along the ground, you didn't play any risky shots. These boys have been brought up in an environment where they like to hit the ball, you know, from a very young age. But still, they have done extraordinarily well in this cricket. So there is no sort of one particular recipe uh, that is you know going to guarantee you success uh, in different formats. It's a right. case of you know each guy making use of his ability uh, the best in the best way possible for him to succeed in the various formats that he plays, he or she plays. Right. I think uh, it it reminds me of sort of the West Indian cricketers where they have you know a tough relationship with their board and that's why a few of them have started playing T20 leagues. But obviously, that's not the case in India where, you know, so far at least the BCCI and, and, and the players work pretty well, which is why I think that that also contributes a little bit where, you know, they want to continue doing both, playing for India as well as playing the IPL. Now, I would want to maintain some decorum in not, you know, saying things about competitors in other countries. Now, they know what they're doing, why they're doing. Unless you are in that situation, you don't know what exactly is going on. Uh, 
everything else is That's kind of being presumptuous and also being uh, in the, uh, you're not being fair. So uh, it's as simple as that. But uh, also uh, the other side to this argument is that ECCI uh, has ensured team India plays a healthy dose of test cricket as well. You know, on an average per year. So true. We, true. we are the BCC is ensuring that there's a very good balance between and also ensuring that all these players are also available most of the times. So what more we right. need? Uh, if somebody's uh, intent is to just criticize anything and everything, you know, we can't do anything about it. Forward to your podcast, uh, Inside Out with uh, W. Raman. You've talked to a wide range of guests on that topic, um, and even from your book, it, it's clear you like to, you know, talk to people from different fields, pick their brains about their uh, work ethic, their approach to life, and and so on. So, I guess is there a person that you haven't had a chance to talk to, and uh, you would love to, you know, uh, ask questions? Oh, the thing is that uh, there are quite a lot of people like that, so I, I wouldn't want to sort of start out. Or the, the entire list of people that love me and eat and talk. But uh, uh, it's suffice to say that uh, I enjoy talking to people from different fields. Uh, in fact, I'm not a great uh, conversationalist uh, on cricket. I talk very little cricket. And uh, I would uh, talk more about various other aspects of life. And I'd like more about the other aspects of life. So, uh, you live once, you can try and, you know, sort of uh, uh, pick up a lot of things about other walks in life as well. You can't, you are kind of a single tunnel vision guy. So, uh, that's the way I've been. I've been a curious guy. I used to read a lot uh, my 13th year as well. Uh, there's uh, no specific genre that I stuck to. And I would read anything and everything. So, that way, it's helped me a lot in life. So you're still not answering the question, though. <laughs> That's what I said. I don't want to start on. Uh, yes, I would have perhaps wanted to have a lot more conversation with uh, Tiger Padodi. Mm. Yes, if there's somebody I would have wanted to definitely meet and have a conversation with uh, a late British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. Uh -huh. so, or maybe if I want to meet somebody now and have a, a kind of a, a drink and a game of billiards uh, uh, or whatever and have a chat with Richard Branson. So there are quite a lot of, you know, the list will go on and on but, but for various reasons because, you know, the fascinating people uh, for um, the, the kind of... Uh, thought processes uh, that uh, uh, propel them to do the things they did in their lives and uh, the way they kind of uh, excelled in whatever they right. this, this, this is a wide list. Right, and I, and I get that. Different walks of life with different backgrounds, different contexts. So, yeah, that's totally fascinating. Uh, but lastly, you know, as a coach and a former player yourself, uh, what is your advice to athletes about handling the unique mental changes or challenges of playing on in the middle of a 
pandemic? See, they have to understand one thing. It's a case of necessity. It's no more an option. Because uh, if they cast their mind back to the times that they did not do anything to settle nothing over a period of eight to ten months, they would have known how bad they were. Now, when there's an opportunity for them to do something which they love doing, which has to be done in the prime of their life, yes, subject to a few uh, sort of uh, chores that need to be done according to the guidelines, they got, you know, somewhere by the bullet and say, yes, we can't have anything like we need to try and you know, do what needs to be done because at the end of the day, it is all about one thing ensuring that these guys are safe and they're going to remain healthy and live and long. So it's a question of just fine-tuning your perception. And yes, it's, it's tough. But at the same time, uh, what happens if uh, there are no activities, they're fussy, they don't want to do this for the next four or five years. And uh, obviously checks stop coming. What happens to you? Like, now, are you prepared for the kind of struggle that you're like? Yes, the guys who've been uh, a part of this entire thing over a period of time is fine. But what about the other cricketers who just about coming and just about starting to make money? Or right. depend on you know, uh, playing cricket for their livelihood, uh, especially in the first class arena. Uh, it, it's very, very common for a lot of guys to play cricket for their existence. So uh, it's, it's no more a necessity. Uh, it's no more, sorry, it's no more a choice. It's, it's more of a necessity. Well, on that note, Mr. Raman, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, you said you're not a great conversationalist when it comes to cricket, but I feel uh, this was a very informative and educative uh, conversation with you, and we really appreciate that very much. Uh, I hope you continue your podcast so that, uh, you know, we get to continue to listen in on some fascinating conversations, and uh, we wish you all the best in your endeavors going forward. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot for having me again. I enjoyed chatting to you guys. And uh, likewise, uh, I would uh, wish you the very best in all the future endeavors. Keep this podcast going. And uh, hopefully, I'll pick up a lot of uh, useful things from your guests. I'm sure they will be from various spheres as well. That's, Stay that, safe and that's our goal. keep well. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. A special thanks to W.V. Raman for being generous with his time and perspectives. You can follow him on Twitter at W.V. Raman and his book, The Winning Sixer, Leadership Lessons to Master, can be found on Amazon. You can also find his podcast, Inside Out with W.V. Raman, on all major podcast platforms. So please check out these links in our show notes. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and do leave us a voice message if you would like to be featured on the show. Thank you for listening to us and from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.